Good morning. How is everybody? Good. Let's open up in prayer. So, Father God, Lord, I thank you for the presence of your spirit here today, Father, and the that your wisdom, Father, that you have, that's a part of your word, will be just poured out, Father, in the spirit of every person here today, believer or unbeliever. So, Father, I thank you that uh, you are in our midst doing that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been on this topic of evangelism. And so this morning, I hope you used a big Q-tip to be able to clean out the wax in the ears because I kind of like doing that in the morning time. It feels good. But... Um, I'm going to be doing, it's, you think about this old school evangelism message, okay? It's not going to be quite old school as to what you think in your mind, but I'm actually going to preach an evangelism message within an evangelism message, if that makes any sense. So you're already confused at the beginning, so that's good. So speaking of that, because you know we've been on this topic of the Great Commission and, and what our responsibilities are for evangelizing, So let's actually understand what the term evangel means. So the term evangel means the gospel. And therefore, an evangelist is a person who actually gives the message of the gospel. And then in the Bible, in Ephesians 4, Jesus says, And to the church, he gave some the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teacher for the equipping of the saints for ministry until we all became mature in Christ. So there literally is an office of the evangelist, okay? But, and yet some of you are sitting out there going, Whew, I'm not the evangelist. But the Great Commission takes that off the shelf because it says that all of us still are responsible for making disciples. So two things that I want you to get out of this message today. That evangelism is for the believer, but evangelism is also from the unbeliever. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Okay, so I don't want you to hear today something that I am not saying when I say that evangelism is for the unbeliever. Because growing up, we always say, okay, let's go out on the street corner and be the preacher holding the sign up and screaming at people in evangelism. But what I want you to understand, and the term that we use most often when you hear this, is that sanctification part, right? Well, evangelism has to do with the gospel. That's what I just said a second ago. That's what the term evangel means. It's the Christian gospel. So who in here doesn't think, as a believer in Jesus Christ, that the gospel still has weight in your life? See, somehow, and I've said this before, somehow we take the gospel and we think that the gospel has somehow ended at the moment of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When it's actually the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us power to live The life that we are supposed to live. So when I say that I am preaching an evangelism message inside of an evangelism message, I want you to understand that I'm speaking to the people who are lost in here today, who don't know Jesus. And I'm also speaking to the believers, to those areas of your heart that are yet to believe and be submitted to Jesus Christ. Now, when you were saved, you were saved. 
I said, don't hear what I'm not saying. But would you agree with me when I say that? Would you agree that we all still have areas that we have to work on in our lives? By a show of hands. Amen. So when you hear me use that term, evangelizing the believer, Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, think about what Steve has said. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us that we are changed. So when Jesus is perfecting you, Jesus is still going there and using that gospel message to speak to your heart, to change those areas where you have not wanted to submit to him. Are we clear? So I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying somebody needs to come and evangelize you to be saved all over again. We are being saved continuously to the end of glory. Jesus is transforming us into his very image. So as we said, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And the gospel in Romans 1.16, it says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Unto. And I said, I was sitting in the parking lot this morning and I opened it up and I said, I wonder what that Greek word means, unto salvation. And I looked it up. And it actually has a definition in the Greek for being an entry point. An entry point or this place like we got saved and we came into this place like unto salvation, meaning it's the start of something that goes on. And we came in here and it says that the gospel, which is the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Now, let's get some things clear about belief. Because I want you to understand it. You are not responsible for the belief that occurs in your heart. God is the one who allows you to believe in your heart. Because most often, more than not, right? All the time. If there's some place that you're struggling with God. And he shows it and reveals it to you. Doesn't your life change After God has revealed it to you so that you can live your life according to that principle of God. I've heard this a hundred times. You will only live out what you believe. Right? So God is the one that nurtures that through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So. Here's the part where we open our ears. The message today, as you see the title, The Beggar and the Tax Collector, the message today needs to be heard from two positions. Okay, two positions. Number one, Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. Okay, so number one point is, look at it from the standpoint of seeking and saving the lost. And the second standpoint is seeking and saving the lost. And you're like, wow, that's just, Frankie, did you mess that up? No, I didn't mess that up. If you go back to where I said we all agreed a while ago that we have areas in our life that need to be worked on, would you not say that that area that's not subject 
or submitted to Christ is, is lost. Jesus says, I go and I seek the sheep. I go out to find the sheep to bring them back to the fold. So if there's that thing inside of you as a believer that needs to continuously be evangelized by the gospel so that it has power to give you life, then I would say, yeah, it's to seek and save the lost. So that's important to remember as we go forward in this. Now I want to take these areas that I feel in our lives are the greatest hindrance to evangelism. That's what I think is the greatest hindrance to us going and sharing the gospel with others is the fact that we have those things inside of us that still need to be addressed. And I call that noise. I call it noise. And in case you've been in a shell or you've been under a rock, we live in a world today that is full of noise. Full of it. To the point where even people sitting inside of this room, including myself, has allowed the world to cause them to become cynical and judgmental. But I am here to tell you, listen very carefully. Jesus Christ, and I'm going to show you in the scripture. Jesus Christ does not care about political or social constructs. He doesn't care about societal constructs because he knows that his words in the power of his father when he walked at the time he walked would change the very society, the very political environment and the social disjustice and everything else that was happening in the world. So you think about that when we evangelize. What do they say? The two things we're not going to discuss over dinner is politics and religion. You hear people talk about that. Jesus wasn't discussing politics when he evangelized. He wasn't worried about, I'm not, don't, don't hear me say he didn't care about the people or things like that. It's the way that God himself approached the people is how we have to approach how we evangelize people in the world today. Might you use the political situations that we have? Maybe. But I don't think that the spirit of God within us is going to take a side And the way I'm going to take you through this scripture is is that the beggar and the tax collector is one continuous story that was in Luke 18 and Luke 19. And you will see that Jesus cared about the oppressed and he also cared about the oppressor. So when we go into the world today to share Christ, Haven't you heard the term? Haven't it been that you see that Christians are becoming the intolerant group? How about have you ever been? Have you ever been to to someone's? You know, like someone. Let's say you go to somebody's house, and then somebody that person that you went to their house to eat standing behind you, and the next day, and somebody says, "Well, how was dinner last night?" Well, I tolerated it. Doesn't the term tolerance? in our society, draw a negative context. Wouldn't we say that? 
So how many of us have used that term when we say we're going to tolerate those people that Jesus found to be the greatest, meaning the, the last shall be first. And he went to hang out with sinners and prostitutes. And yet somehow, somehow, we have found it okay to say we're going to pull ourselves away from some of those people because we're tolerant or we've become, we become the group that is intolerant, right, to the rest of the world. Or if you don't agree with somebody, then you just, they cast you off. And we have to understand that that's not the position that Jesus took. He didn't take that position. Jesus was never tolerant of anyone. Ever. He loved people. And that's what the gospel does. So, before we get into this scripture, I want to look at how God himself, in Jesus Christ, evangelized And I want to take a look at his proclamation. And his proclamation is in Isaiah 61. And everybody knows, pretty much, everybody knows Isaiah 61. It says, For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim liberty to the captives, And the opening of the prison to them that are bound. So can we agree that the oppressed and the oppressor are both bound captives? Right? So you're going to see in the scripture how Jesus would have evangelized those elements. How God himself in the person of Jesus Christ walking on the face of this earth would address those situations. So let me set up the story for you. So in Luke 18, last part of the chapter, I'm going to have to put my glasses on now. Luke 18, we're going to go from verse 35 down to the end. And then in 19, we'll be going over to verse 9. You'll see a very familiar story there. And it's about Zacchaeus. And hopefully today you're going to hear something that you've never heard before about this. But to go where we need to go, you have to go to the scripture before that in Luke 18. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Okay, this was Jesus' ministry over time was he was passing through different towns. And he was going on the way to Jerusalem to be crucified unbeknownst to everybody else that that's what was going to happen. So in his ministry, at this particular point in time, Jesus was pretty far into his ministry. So you can only imagine that the Jews would have already thought their king was here. He was riding in to take over a tyrannical government. And that's what people thought when he was coming through the town. So Jesus would have been a very, very popular man, right? It's kind of like the parade for the Super Bowl or something like that. People would have started running outside the city walls to come gather around him and have him in a crowd and be pestering him and doing all these kind of things. So Jesus would have been a very, very popular person. So as you see in verse 35 in Luke 18, it says, And then it happened as Jesus was coming near Jericho. 
It's kind of funny though. I, I like to point out details of scripture too to help you understand it. Is that Jericho is actually the lowest inhabited point, continuously inhabited point on the face of this planet. It's 846 feet below sea level. Jericho. So it's not ironic. There's symbolism. That's what I said. A message inside of a message. You need to understand the spiritual. You need to understand the physical. So Jericho literally is the lowest place on the face of the earth. So Jesus is walking into this place. And there was a certain blind man that sat by the road begging. Now, I don't know how many of you know. This is how I want you to start having compassion. To see the empathy and the compassion of Christ is lame people, beggars, blind people, those kind of people in ancient Israel, in ancient antiquity, in Middle East, were outcasts. They were outcasts. They said sitting outside by the road. He was begging. Now I want you to understand something is that begging would have been a profession for this man. Now, let's say you were a skilled, you know, blacksmith or something like that. And you broke your leg or something accidentally, the hammer fell off and broke your leg, and you went by the front gate shaking your cup and taking money from people and blessing God, well, you're eventually going to heal and go back to do your job. Now there's one thing about it is we can definitely see that this man was blind, because he said he was blind, and he could hear, but he was blind. So his sight wasn't going to leave him. So you have to understand, or sight wasn't going to return. So this man had a full-time job of being a beggar. How many of you would risk everything to give up all you have to take the one thing that gave you employment? Think about it. I just want you to understand where I'm going with this. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So at some point in time, this man had already put something inside of himself that he had this impression of Jesus. He he thought the same thing. He thought Jesus was the king of the Jews, come to rescue him from the Roman government. But apparently there was something else inside this man because he was trying to scream louder than the people. So in the physical side of things, this man was screaming out. And the the cool part about this is he was referencing him in his kingly title, son of David. Now, how many times in your life as a believer has your king called to you? Or have you called out to your king and your king answered? Okay, follow where we're going. Now think about that. Keep that question in your mind. So this man has called out to Jesus, son of David. And in Jesus' kingly ways, he tells these people who are telling this man to be quiet. They're trying to shut this guy up, and he starts screaming louder. I wonder what would happen in our own lives If the world was trying to tell us to shut up and be quiet, if we would scream out louder for our king, what would happen? 
And that's exactly what happens in this story. Is this man is screaming loud for Jesus. And so it said Jesus stood still and commanded the man be brought to him. Now I want you to understand the kingly nature of this. And this is what Jesus will do for you. This is how he evangelizes people. He calls out as the king and tells the very people who were telling the man to be quiet to bring them over to him. And then when the man finally gets over to Jesus, now he's blind, Jesus as the king. So if a person came before a king, they would ask, the king would say, what can I do for you? That's what they would do when somebody would come before a king. Now, what do you think this man's going to tell Jesus he wants? Somebody tell me. He wants to be able to see. He wants to be able to see. Now, this is God walking on earth. Don't you think he's already testing this man? That's the one thing that we know that man would want is he wants to be able to see. But he's willing. Think about it now. If, if the man came up and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the guy goes, um, well, I don't know. I've been blind for a long time. Let me think if there's something else that I want out of all of this. And Jesus basically gives him what he wants. So in doing so, in talking louder than the crowd, because the man outscreamed the crowd who was trying to put him down, he talked louder. Jesus heard. Jesus sought him out of the crowd. He came over him and granted the thing that he wanted. Now I'm telling you in your life, this is speaking, this is the two part of the message. Is that in your life, if your king says, what can I do for you? Do you think he's going to give you the thing that you want? If some of these other areas in your life haven't been dealt with so that you can understand the maturity that it requires or what is what is required for you to to grasp what he's done in your life. This man was willing to give up his job. Because, I mean, think about it. As soon as Jesus healed his sight, he got up and it said, oh, he went praising God and glorifying him and following him. So he immediately got up from this job that he's had for God knows how long, shaking his cup, making money, and gave it all up for the sake of Jesus Christ. Would we do the same? Would we do the same? And I know in my life, personally, there have been moments when I have fought hard with God against that very principle. Is he would ask me, say, what can I do for you? And I'd be like, well, I want you to take this pain away right now. Something I'm going through in life. Well, somehow or another, the pain didn't go away. Because for some reason, I probably hadn't recognized somewhere along the way, the other things that he was trying to do inside of me. And that pain that lingered was left there to be able to help me get to that place. The principle here is you have to be willing when your king says, what is it that I can do for you? You have to be willing to open that heart to him because he's the perfect evangelist, right? He's the perfect one that ever walked on the face of the earth. 
is you have to be willing to open your heart to be able to surrender and submit whatever that is so that the king will grant what it is that you want. Now, the interesting part about this story as we move forward is it says Jesus is walking and entering into Jericho, so he's passing through. So here at the front of the street, people have just seen Jesus heal a blind man. Okay? See him heal a blind man. So this man now gets up, follows Jesus, and this crowd that was out in the front of the city has now seen a miracle of God, right? There's fruit. There's fruit that's occurring. What happens in your life if you submit to your king and surrender those elements, what will it produce in the lives of other people that you come into contact with? It will produce fruit. That's what the gospel does. The gospel makes people make a decision. And it has nothing to do with the politics of the town of Jericho. It has nothing to do with the social status of this man that Jesus decided to pull out of the crowd. It was because he was yelling louder than the crowd and calling out to his king. So again, we've got this crowd now that has seen this miracle. And they follow along. They're walking through Jericho. I can almost venture a guess to say that because Jesus was so popular that they probably had a big party planned for him, probably had a banquet. They probably wanted to sit down with him around the table and they probably wanted to discuss how they were going to overthrow the Roman government. Think about it. This is how, this is how popular Jesus would have been and what people probably wanted to know what he was planning on doing to do that. It's like people were forgetting to hear all the things that he was teaching about love your enemies, pray for your enemies, you know, all these reversals of things that his kingdom brings to the table. But it said in the story that Jesus didn't stop there. It says he entered into Jericho, starting in chapter 19, and it said he passed through Jericho. So he had a mission, he had a purpose. He was going to something else. So he goes through this town. These people probably have something for him. They're still following him though. Praising Jesus, it said in the last part of chapter 18, because they saw a blind man healed. And then it says, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. So being a chief tax collector, and everybody knows, means that you were pretty much a hated individual in the Jewish society. Now, I would also venture a guess to say, since it says chief tax collector, Zacchaeus was probably the one who sat up in the office and counted the coins on the table, and he probably had other people that went out to go collect taxes to make him more wealthy. And so, when it says that he went out because he wanted to see, he said, and he sought to see Jesus, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So what do you think would have happened to Zacchaeus? Let's, think, let's just think through this process in the scripture. What do you think would have happened to Zacchaeus if he would have come down into the crowd and people recognized who he was? I'm making a point here. If, if you were someone who was hated, 
and you came down amongst the crowd and those people knew you and they had a chance to throw a shot at you or they had a chance to do some damage to you or to hurt you, they probably would take it. Especially if there was a large crowd like that. So the scripture says that Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for Jesus was going to pass that way. So some more details about this. You know in ancient Israel, or in Israel, the men wore robes. Okay? So can you imagine? Now this is something that when you read the scripture and you learn these little details about things, so you can see the difference between the physical, the spiritual side, is that the men didn't show their legs in Israel because they had on a robe. So when the Bible says that Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed he did two things that would have been shameful in that culture he hiked up his robe and held it up and he probably went and ran down a back alley so that he couldn't be seen by the crowd so he was hiding and he went up into a sycamore tree now there's a little something that i know about this time frame is that this is the passover because jesus was heading to jerusalem for the passover and during the passover was when the first part of the year in the spring would have been when all the blooms would have been coming. So the sycamore tree is a tree that has very dense foliage. Very thick. So when Zacchaeus ran, holding his legs and showing his legs, and he climbs up in this tree, point number two, full of shame, he gets up into a tree and is trying to hide so the crowd can't see him. And probably so Jesus can't see him. Right? Now remember what I said. You had to take years and you had to listen a little bit. Is how many of us have those areas inside of us that feel really shameful and just feel just ugh. And we try to hide up in that tree and just to get a little glimpse of Jesus as he comes walking by. And it's, it's crazy because then the scripture goes on and says, hey, you know what? Here's, you know, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. So can you imagine? <laughs> now think, it's you're trying to hide from the crowd, right? You're trying to hide from the crowd who you don't want to see you because you know that they're going to abuse you when they see you. So here's where I said Jesus doesn't care about political stuff. Because what did Jesus do? He calls Zacchaeus out of the tree. And he says, hey, man, I'm going to eat with you at your house. Now, can you imagine before this? Let's talk about the scene before what would have happened. Now, Jesus is looking up in this tree going, hey, Zacchaeus, what's up? Come on down. And the crowd sees him and starts yelling. Can you imagine the four-letter words they were probably hurling? at Zacchaeus up in the tree they were probably going yeah Jesus get him that's right he's the tax collector he's the wrong one we're going to wait and sit back and see what you say about it and can you see now think does it even make sense inside your own heart that Jesus would have said you dirty rotten sinner you dirty rotten sinner come out of that tree you are wrong would Jesus have been right in having anger? 
I think he would have been. But here's what Jesus does, which is the same thing that we should do when we go out to see that crowd. Is that we have to take that anger that we have in those situations and we have to redirect it and have grace. That's how the Son of Man evangelizes people. He called them out of the tree in front of all the people. And did you realize when I said Jesus doesn't care about social construct, he doesn't care about the politics because that was not a very popular political move that he just made. Wouldn't you say? So when he pulls him out of the tree, it says something very profound in the scripture. Zacchaeus made haste and come down. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your house. So Zacchaeus made haste and came down and received him joyfully. So the Bible didn't say when Zacchaeus came down out of the tree, he felt really full of guilt and shame and felt terrible about himself and held his head down to the ground and did all this. It said when Jesus told him to come out of the tree, it said he received him joyfully. So here's what I'm here to tell you the, evangel- the, the, the gospel should do in people's lives. If we are listening to the spirit of Christ inside of us, the gospel, when we give it, listen, makes people joyful to be accepted by the God that we know. It does not make people feel guilty and full of shame for the things that they have done. Because in one fell swoop, in one fell swoop, when Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come out of the tree, he changed the entire political structure and social structure of the town of Jericho. Do you know how he did that? He did it because... Now that he comes to his house and he had this grace poured on him by the son of God, he says, oh, you know what, Lord, everything that's in my heart, I want to give to you. So I'm going to give back to everyone that I've stolen from. So again, we go back to the blind beggar and we go back to Zacchaeus, your testimony and word when you evangelize to somebody is going to produce fruit. It's going to produce fruit because it's being done by God himself. It's going to produce some type of fruit. And that's exactly what happened in the town of Jericho. Jericho was transformed because Jesus, listening to his father, knew exactly what he was supposed to do. He knew who to talk to. He knew what to say. He knew where to go. But you also look at how it changes that, that, that thing in the believer, the, the, the place that Jesus goes to and says, hey, I know you feel guilty about that. I know you feel full of shame. He says, but I'm telling you, come down out of that tree. He says, come down out of the tree and let me dine with you so that I can make that part of your heart whole. Remember when I said earlier, I said that evangelism message inside of an evangelism message? Because I know right now today, I know 
that there are people sitting in this congregation that have felt just like the blind beggar sitting outside of the fence, shaking a cup, going, God bless you for giving me some of this. Destitute, oppressed. You have been the one who has been oppressed. But you have also, on the other hand, been the one that's been the oppressor. Every person in here has been both at some point in time in their life. And at some point in time, it's still going on. There's still things in all of our hearts that Jesus is still speaking to every day. He's saying, submit those things in the power of the gospel so that you can live because you're dead. You cannot start living until you die. And I'm here to tell you that the power of Christ... Raising from the dead means your resurrected life starts the moment you believe. Period. That means every single day. It means you give everything to him. The beggar gave up everything. We don't know. That man may not have had a job. He didn't have any skills. He didn't have any education. He shook a cup because he was blind. But he was willing to give up that thing that he held on to most dearly to give it to the Lord so that he could be whole. Same thing with Zacchaeus. You know what I would say about these two men? Whether they're the oppressed and the oppressor is they both wanted to see Jesus. One of them couldn't see physically with his eyes, but he yelled pretty loud. And Zacchaeus, even though he went about doing it in a crazy kind of way, He still wanted to see what this Jesus Christ guy was all about. And the same thing will apply to you. Lost or believer. If you want your king to call you to come get you, go get them, bring them to me. If that's what you want, then you have to be willing to submit to the king. Period. There is no, there's no middle ground on any of that. He doesn't grant, he does, he's not granting all of that because we just decide sometimes we might want to and sometimes we don't. Submission to the king changes your political and social internally. Got me? It changes all of that. It turns you from the tax collector into the one that greets Jesus joyfully. Now, the beauty of this last statement, after Zacchaeus, the fruit that was produced out of evangelism, verse 9, it says, And Jesus said to him, talking to Zacchaeus, he said, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. Well, what in the world does that mean? He was a son of Abraham. Well, Abraham was the promise. That was the line that Christ would have come down. And he said he's a son of Abraham because salvation has come to this house. But I think it's even deeper than that. Because we have to remember the command that God gave Abraham. And God gave Abraham this command. He says, I want you to go to a land that you don't know where you're going. He said, and I'll tell you when you get there. It's pretty much what he said. 
And it says, and Abraham, justified by his faith, left and went. Now, I see that happening with the blind beggar, and I also see that happening with Zacchaeus. That if we are touched by Christ, period, if we are touched by the love of God, you will go not knowing where you are going. Hear what I'm telling you. You will go not knowing where you're going. Because if you know where you're going, and it's a place that God has tried to touch in that heart, and he's continuously whispered to it, then you're still holding on to it. That's all there is to it. And until you surrender that thing to him, it's going to keep toying with you. It's going to keep taunting you. You're going to stay in the tree. You're going to stay hidden by the dense foliage that's growing around you because you're trying to hide from the very one who in his grace and his love, not in guilt and shame. The gospel was powerful enough and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ was powerful enough to remove every blot that you have in your life. Every blot. It is powerful enough to remove every stain. It is powerful enough even so that it removed the guilt of your sin. Because see, we still walk around in the world. We still walk around in the world sometimes still holding on to the guilt of our sin. And the Bible says that's not true. That's a lie. It said God, Jesus died on the cross to take that guilt and that shame away. And so these men, these examples of these men, this is how Jesus evangelizes the good news. He doesn't let all the extraneous stuff around us in the world get in the way. He doesn't allow all the negativity in the world to get in the way of what actual truth is. He knew how to love people and love them well. And you're saying, well, I'm not Jesus Christ. Well, no, you're not. But you sure have Jesus Christ living inside of you if you claim to be a believer. And it's the same Jesus that was in those stories talking. So I don't think he forgot how he was supposed to talk to people. So I challenge you when you look at stories like this, that you pull those principles and you think about what it means in your own life. And you, you try to just digest. And, and when you go out to speak to people, don't let the noise of this world and all the nonsense that we turn on the news and get cynical and judgmental over, don't let that stuff interfere with having those conversations with those hard-to-have conversation kind of people. Because I promise you, I promise you, listen. And Steve said it a hundred times. I've heard it up here a hundred times. If you are walking in the spirit of Christ, God himself will put you in the place where you are supposed to be at the moment you are supposed to be there, i.e. these stories, to cause transformation in somebody's life. And that's exactly what happened to these two men. They were found because they were lost. But when you think about the principles that go along with it in the believer's life, they were found because they were lost. 
So, Father, we thank you today for great grace over your word, Father, for wisdom in your word. Father, I pray now that the principles, Father, the principles of your word that are in the pages would come out, Father, and they would just fall upon and rest upon the ears of every person here, Father. That this was material to digest, and I'm okay with that. And Father, I know you're okay with it too because you want your people to seek you. You want your people to find you. Father, you're not hiding from us, so we don't have to hide from you. And Father, your grace and your mercy is sufficient. Father, it doesn't leave us to feel guilty. It doesn't leave us to feel full of shame. It doesn't leave us to want for anything. So Father, I thank you that in the midst of that and that that deepness of those principles that you're touching people's lives, Father, to be able to release those things to you and to listen to the voice of the King, Father, who wants to change that twisted structure that's inside. Father, that you're releasing that, Father, that you're 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 just you're healing it. Because, Father, that's what the gospel does. It's for all of us, for everybody. Because there's power in your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.